One of the main points I want to touch on right now is humility. This parable is one that you should all know very well. It's one that kind of echoes in the consciousness of all Christians, I think, to choose the last place. To choose that last place, I remember when I was entering in the novitiate, we would often, the novitiate's the beginning of being a brother, by the way, in case you didn't know, and we would often rush to take the last place. So you have two brothers sitting at the door saying, no, you, no, 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 you, no, 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 you, no, 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 you, and no. And finally, one brother would come in the middle and just barge through. It actually became such a thing that one of the brothers would jump into the last place, jump in the last, in the end of the car, the last seat, that's the word I'm looking for, and he would sing, I'm more humble than you are. I'm more humble than you are. I'm more humble than... And I thought that was always really funny. So it's stuck in my head now anytime I get in the back of a car to sing that. And it's funny because taking the last seat, it seems to have entered so much in the consciousness of Catholics that most churches, except for this one, everyone sits in the back. Maybe that's why, you know. Maybe it's not because they're just kind of barely making it in. But um, that little story, I think it's a nice one, because it's not taking the last seat that this parable is about, really. It's not about that. Because you can have pride in even taking the last seat. You know? If you can have pride... Be proud of being the most humble. You could be proud of almost anything. You could be proud of a little pinky finger. You know? It doesn't take much. But what he's getting at here is not necessarily the last seed. But that first parable seems to be speaking about, um, we'll call it humility for the moment. Also, Ambition or desire? Should you have desire? Here in that first parable, he has ambition or desire to be in that first seat. So he goes right up to it. And Jesus is going to correct that. And he's going to say, your desire in itself is not bad. I'm not going to say you shouldn't have ambition. But this particular ambition is false. It's not real. You can't get your head so big that you get disjuncted or separated from the reality, the reality around you. You can't get your head so big that you're not attentive to every person around you and their needs and their wants. If you want to have a correct ambition, you can't lose sight of the world around you. In the second parable, he's going to give another correction to your ambition. He says, when you give a lunch or dinner, don't do it for the glory you get from being loved. 
Don't do it for that. And in fact, if you're tempted to do that, do the contrary. Do the very contrary of what you're tempted to do. And that's how you're going to fight that pride. Is by, instead of inviting the people you want, invite the people you don't want. And that's another beautiful point. So he doesn't say it's wrong to have ambition, but don't have ambition for honor or glory to yourself. Have ambition, again, for what is real. But he takes it to a new scale. That first parable says, what's the reality of what's going on at the party? Take the last seat instead of the first seat because you don't know if you deserve that first seat. The second one is, your ambition should not be for glory on this earth. When you work on this earth, it should be for what is true, right, for what is just and fair, for what is correct. If you have ambition, have ambition for the higher things, for the love of God and love of my brothers, for merit in heaven so that I might be received with open arms. But already... These things are very interesting. The correction of the ambition. You know, I was thinking of a few saints, you know, like the Desert Fathers, which were the saints of the year 300. Right after the church became uh, accepted by the government, for the first time, we moved from persecuted and suppressed by government to accept it by the government, it became very popular to be Catholic. And everybody wanted to be Catholic. And it was like, it was a jump up in your class if you became a Catholic. And so what did the saints do? You know? You may think of different elements of your life where that's true, where it's a jump up What did the saints do? The desert fathers ran away from it. They ran into the desert and said, no, no, I will not be looking for God in popularity. And so they went out and they lived in the desert. Or I think later on in the 1500s of St. Ignatius of Loyola, the founder of the Jesuit order, when He was going through his conversion. He was a soldier and a noble. He was an officer. And St. Ignatius, he he had to go through a purification. When he converted, he had to, in order to become a disciple of Christ and to follow Christ all the way to the end, fight those temptations against true humility and love. So he went into a cave. I love that story. He went into a cave for nine months alone in a cave. And there, because he was noble and he loved social events and parties and whatnot, he stopped grooming himself. So he grew out his fingernails, he grew out his beard and his hair. He didn't take care of himself at all. In order to 
directly fight his temptation. He did the opposite. He did the opposite of what he wanted to do. He didn't do it forever. Notice it lasted for about nine months. And during those nine months, he fought the different demons in his life. I wish it was to say fighting the demon of the cell phone addiction, but it didn't exist at the time. I wish it was to say to fight the demon of the modern drug, but it wasn't that at the time. It was your classics like lusts, food. It was classics like greed and wanting to have everything nice, vanity. And, you know, seeing that he was attached to all kinds of things like, net, like Netflix, right? No, maybe not. Uh, he decided to renounce them for a time. And it's things like that that are absolutely necessary in order to learn humility. True humility. Because true humility actually brings joy. Because a humble person is someone who habitually, meaning all the time, doesn't think about himself. He doesn't think about himself anymore because he's thinking about how beautiful everything else is. So busy thinking about how much he loves everything else, he doesn't have time to think of himself and his own crooked ambition. But his ambitions have been made straight, where he desires the good for you, for your sake, and not for his own. And in order to get to that, that person has to fight, has to fight, has to renounce of the first place, which means renouncing of Netflix or the cell phone or whatever other attachment you have, because I'm sure we all have them. And if you don't know you have an attachment, you're worse off than I expected. <laughs> uh, lucidity is the first step, as we say. Being aware is the first step. But then there has to be those classic things in Christianity which we don't preach anymore, which is renouncing, renouncing of food. So I fast so that I might say there are more important things than the way I feel. There are more important things in this world, Lord, than simply food. But notice, we don't fast every single moment, but for a time, for a time. Or from sleep, because we like the way we feel so much that we're more interested in how we feel, so we can't even hold a conversation anymore. We're always sensitive to, what are they saying about me? So we fast from sleep. So that way, we can go all day the next day smiling and being nice to everybody when we really don't want to. Because we want to say, God, I love you more than the way I feel. God, I love you more than food. I love you more than sleep. So in order to get to a state where you can have a joy of humility, 
the joy of seeing the good all around you, seeing the place and the role which you have, seeing the objective reality habitually, and not always thinking of yourself all the time. You have to practice these things of renouncing of the first seat to take the place where you belong because you're attentive to the world around you. To see the good and the beauty of the other and not of yourself. And to love that good, to love the person in front of you and not for your own sake. It's a hard thing to do. I hope you know how hard it is because that means you're attentive to what goes on inside of you. It's hard to love the other person for their sake and not for how they make you feel. We know that explicitly we should do it. But let us put it into action. That's the hard part. And let us do so by renouncing, renouncing of whatever it is we're attached to for a time so that we might announce what our heart is most deeply attached to, the love of God and the love of our brothers, so that we might be true disciples of Christ. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.